right, good morning, everybody. Welcome once again to Sunday Morning Digital Cathedral. So good to be with you today, and I hope that you're ready to hear some good stuff that will stretch you, change you, and conform you into the image of Christ. Just before I, I uh, flip the camera on, I was thinking how much I feel whenever I'm gonna, whenever I'm gonna come to you at the Digital Cathedral, I feel exactly like I used to feel when I was in the brick and mortar building on Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. There was always some anticipation. There was a little bit of anxiety, a few butterflies in my stomach. You know, I, I was prepared to teach. I knew what I was gonna do, but there was always just that anticipation. And I feel that same excitement every time I come to you at the Digital Cathedral on Sunday morning or when we do a Wednesday night live. I'm, I'm always revved up. I feel, here's what I really feel. Every time we come together, I feel like, gosh, I got a word today that is gonna help somebody, that's gonna change somebody, that's gonna, that's gonna help you come out of what you're in, or it's gonna make you realize more of who you are and what you fully possess. So I don't, I don't come on Sunday morning, you know, casual or laid back. I may look that way externally, but internally, I'm, I'm like a racehorse at the starting gate. I'm pawing it to ground, I'm ready to go. And that, that little bit of anxiety, that little bit of, of uh, nervousness, an old professor way, way, way back in the 60s, he told all of us preacher boys, he said, that's a good sign. If you, if you don't have that little bit of edge, that, you know, that little bit of excitement, that little bit of apprehension, a little bit of nerves, then he said, you need, you need to, to quit what you're doing because you're not, you're not running at the level you need to run at. So I've still got it, <laughs> still got it after all these years. So it is good to be with you. I hope you enjoy this time together as much as I enjoy coming to you and teaching the Word every week. Especially this series that we've been in this year, we've been walking our way through Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. And we're up this morning to Philippians chapter 3, and I want to cover verses 12 through 21. Now, since we're doing a systematic study, you can pretty well follow along and know what we're going to be doing next week. At least, basically, you'll know that we'll be doing Next week, we're going to be, uh, let me just look ahead here for a second. I think we go ahead and we push on to Philippians chapter 4. So if you want to study Philippians chapter 4 next week, you can think about it, meditate about it, uh, read it out of several versions, and you'll be tracking right with me. I bet, I bet what you see in Philippians chapter 4, if you'll spend a little bit of time in it this week, I bet when I come and teach it next week and lay out for you what I see, I bet we're going to be seeing a lot of the same things. That's just the way the Spirit of Truth works. So this morning, we're in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 to 21. And when I read these verses over, I <clears throat> there are several things that strike me that I want to share this morning. But the first thing that really hits me that I love is the transparency with which Paul writes to the Philippians. He never... he. Paul comes to them and he just says, you know, guys, this is, this is who I am. This is what I'm about. Uh, and he doesn't pull any punches. He doesn't, he doesn't try to present himself to be something that he isn't. One thing I, one thing I also appreciate very much about Paul is he never, never says, I'm the only source of truth. I mean, we run into that so much today in religion, don't we? There, there are denominations that think they're the only denomination that if, you're, if you don't belong to their denomination, then you don't belong to the true church. You're not following the true way. Paul never presents himself that way. Paul never says, I'm the one source of truth, and if you, if you don't listen to me, you're going you're gonna to be in great error. Now, Paul obviously had tremendous revelation that he received directly from Jesus, but it was more of an attitude that Paul carried. And I, I love that humility. He never, when I read Paul, he never holds himself out to be anything special. I don't, th I don't think Paul would be picked up at the airport in a limousine if he lived today. I don't think that he would have to be uh, housed in a special hotel for his series of services at the local church. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you have not, haven't a clue what I'm talking about, but that is the way that religious system works many times is that we put men on a pedestal and rather than saying, don't treat me that way, they go ahead and believe their own press clippings. 
They, they believe good things about themselves, that they are, they are special, that they carry a truth that if you don't adhere to, that you're, you're walking in error. Now, having said that, having said that Paul never presents himself uh, as being the only source of truth, he also, on the other hand, the flip side of the coin is, Paul knows who he is, and he knows whose he is. That builds a great confidence. When you know who you are and whose you are, it builds a great confidence, and you don't have to present yourself as something special. Paul had great confidence in what Jesus revealed to him, and he had no problem contending for the faith that he was giving his life for. He, he had absolutely no problem talking about the Jesus and the revelations that Jesus had revealed to him. But in his personal life, in the way that he presented himself, the way that he postured himself, the way that he presented himself to the churches, he walked humbly. He walked uh, uh, not as anyone special. And I, I so appreciate Paul and the way that he was able and willing, not just able, but he was willing to endure such tremendous hardship, such adversity to promote the gospel and to get, uh, to get the revelation that Christ is in all of us. All of us Gentiles have Christ living in us. Paul underwent such tremendous adversity to get that, to get that message out there. Can I just, let me just briefly show you a couple of things. You've probably read these scriptures before, but you know, Whenever you, get, whenever you get to feeling down about yourself or like, you know, life's dealing you some tough blows, you, you just need to look at old Apostle Paul in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, for example. And I'll just read, I just want to read a couple of examples to show the hardship that this guy went through and compare that to the things that we think, man, we're having a rough day. We get all bent out of shape if somebody um, doesn't like our Facebook posts or if somebody unfriends us or, God forbid, they block us. <laughs> we think the world collapsed around us. Now, look, look what, what Paul went through here in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Let me, let me pick this up in verse 24. He said, from the Jews, from the religious crowd, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned and three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. Man, you've got a lot of time to think when you're out there bobbing in the water. Uh, no sign of any rescue. you got a lot of time to think when you're getting 39 lashes put on your back or beaten with rods. He says, in journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of mine own countrymen, in perils uh, of the wilderness, in perils of the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness, in toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. And he says, beside all that, in verse 20, he said, if that wasn't enough, all of the physical problems that I had to endure, that I, that I did come through, in verse 28, he says, emotionally, I had to deal with all of the things that came to me daily from all of the churches that I was involved with. So Paul really had it. And then when you read over in Acts chapter 16, verse 20 to 24, Paul's just following, I mean, the gospel, just preaching the gospel. And he, he's hauled in before the magistrates. And eventually he's thrown into the inner dungeon, his feet locked up in stocks, and he's imprisoned. I mean, how, how, how many of us would have gone, man, what, I mean, God, what are you doing to me? Father, why, Father, why are you, why don't you stop this? Why are you allowing this hardship, this tribulation to come into my life? All I'm doing is do, following your instruction, doing what you told me to do. And like I said, we get all bent out of shape when we face these, these little road bumps in comparison to what the Apostle Paul faced. I want to look, I want to look, I want to walk through uh, verses 12 through 17, and then I'm, I've got some comments I want to make about it. But Paul gives us some great understanding in verses 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17 of this 13th chapter of Philippians. And I, just keep in mind, this man that never presented himself haughty, never presented himself better than others. This is a guy who wrote two-thirds of the post-resurrection scripture. He wrote most everything that we read. Uh, 
in, 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 in post-resurrection. And he's had this to say. Now look, look at the humility that Paul had about himself. This third chapter of Philippians. Let's pick it up in verse 12. He said, not that I've already attained. This is Paul speaking. He said, I'm not there yet. I have not arrived yet, nor have I been perfected. But I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. He's saying, I, I want to grab everything that there is in Christ. I want to grab hold of what he is in the way that he's grabbed hold of me. Do you feel Jesus has got a hold of your life today? Do you know why he's got a hold of your life? So that you can discover the revelation of what he's made available to you. So we want to hold, grab a hold of him for what he's grabbed hold of us with. And that's what Paul said. Paul said, I'm not there yet. I haven't attained. I like the humility there. He said, I'm not perfected. I'm not perfected. And he goes on in verse 13. He said, I do not count myself to have apprehended he said, but one thing I do, one thing I do, he said, forgetting those things that are behind. And if there's ever anybody that had a reputation that they needed to forget about, it was Paul. This guy was bad news on two wheels to the, to the Christians. He said, one thing I do, he said, I forget the things that are behind, the good things and the bad things. We, we tend to hold the good things and, and you know, we want to downplay the bad, or some of us are harassed by the bad things from the past, by old things that, that seem to dog our tracks. Paul said, I've got to let go of those. If I'm going to apprehend what I am to apprehend, if I'm going to arrive at the goal that I want to arrive at, I've got to let go of the past, the good past and the bad past. So verse 13, he said, I don't count myself to have apprehended. That's what he tells us in verse 12. But this one thing I do. Now, whenever the Bible says one thing or only thing, you need to pay special attention because I think it has special significance. So when Paul says, the one thing I do is I have to forget the things that are behind, he said, so that I can reach forward to the things that are ahead. So there's a key there. There's a, there's a revelation there. The revelation is you can never get what's in front of you hanging on what is behind you. You can't hold on to what's back here and reach for what's out there. You, you, you can't stretch that far. The only way you can grab what's out here is to let go of what's back there. And Paul said, I, I've got that understanding. I've got that revelation. So I, I want you at the Digital Cathedral to understand that if we're going to arrive at the destination we want to arrive at, which is a full manifestation of the sons of God, daughters of God, that we're going to have to let go of um, maybe some animosity, some unforgiveness from the past the way that the church treated us, the way that religion treated us, the way that our friends walked away. I mean, there's, or maybe maybe you had great success. Maybe you were a pulpit superstar. Maybe, maybe you were one of the ones that achieved great success in that religious system. But you've got a revelation on grace. You've got a revelation on the finished work of the cross. You've seen mercy that endures forever, love that has no strings attached. You're gonna have to forget your stardom. You're gonna have to forget uh, the money you made, or the accolades, or everybody's patting you on the back and telling you, attaboy, man, you are, you are something special. You have to let go of all of that. So Paul is saying, if, I, if I'm going to, verse 12, press on, then I'm gonna to have to be prepared for perpetual change. When you reach for the things that are in front of you, it's gonna require change. You can't become what's in front being what you are today. There, there's some, most of the time just little itty bitty mini steps that move you forward. But at some point, if you don't let go of what you have today or what you were in the past, it's gonna to be too big of a stretch to get what is in front of you. Remember, remember last week, he told us how to change. He told us how to change in Philippians chapter two and verse 13, Paul said, that it's God that works in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. That's how you change. You come to a realization, it comes a revelation that it's God that's working in you, putting his will in you. What you want to do is his will. You might think it's your will, but actually, you know what? It's his will. The likes that you have, the way that he's wired you, the way that he's constructed you, the things that you desire, that's God's will. 
God isn't going to put a will in you of something that you detest or you hate. He puts the will in you of things that you're drawn to. So the things that excite you, the things that rev your engine, light your fire, that's the will of God for you. That's a, that's a great key to God's will. Then with that will, he gives you the power and the ability to do it. Now, here's, here's what he asks. If he, if he puts the will and the power to do it, <clears throat> then the change that Paul's talking about in these verses 12 and 13 that we've come to so far, we're going to have to learn what we learned last week, that it's him doing the work. So you and I, we have to, we have to do three things. You're going to hear this a lot from me because I think this is a key to successful uh, sonship. We're going to learn, have to learn how to rest. That means we take our hands off. That means we stop our efforts, our flesh efforts. We're going to have to learn to trust. That means that we lean back and we believe that if he said it, he's the one that is able to accomplish it. We rest, we trust, and we believe. Now, believe is simply responding to the revelation. Believe can be an action word. Believe, can, believe is a verb. It can be action. But it's not something, believing is not something you conjure up on your own. Believing, listen to me, believing is a simple response to what he shows you. If he's not showing you anything, then don't act. You just believe that he will show you. You act on what he does show you. So if we're going to let go of the past, reach to the things that are in front of us, we rest we take our hands off, we cease from our labor, we trust, we believe that the one that promised it can bring it to pass, and we believe, we act on what he shows us. All right, let's move on to verse 14. Philippians chapter three and verse 14. This is good stuff today. Verse 14, he said, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God that is in Christ Jesus. So here's the target. He said, I'm pressing toward the goal. He said, that's the target. He said, I'm not there yet. He said, I have a focus. There's an upward pull. There's a, there's a, there's a higher consciousness. There's a, there's a lifting up that I'm feeling from within. So he's saying, I'm pressing toward the goal for the prize of the upward call, the higher call, the, 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 the higher dimension, the expansion of my understanding. And he said, that I'm, I'm like a heat-seeking missile. That's the target. That's where I'm headed. Now, in verses 15 and 16, he turns it around to the Philippians. Verses 12, 13, 14, he says, this is who I am. This is what I'm about. I haven't, I haven't got it all together. I haven't attained it all yet. He said, but I, I, I'm, I'm pressing. I'm letting go, and I'm moving forward. Now, he's saying all of this to help them in the process of how they're walking out the message that he delivers. Everything I say to you is to help you to walk out the message that I'm delivering. And that's what Paul's doing with the Philippians. He's, he's laying it down first by his own life, and he's saying, I'm not perfect. I haven't apprehended. I'm not perfected. He said, but I've learned to let go so that I can push forward. And he said, I've got to go. He said, there's an upward call. There's a higher consciousness, a greater level that I'm moving toward. Now he turns it around in verse 15 and 16. And he says, therefore, that's a conclusion. He says, I'm going to give you a conclusion based on what I've been doing. Now, here's a conclusion for you. Verse 15, he said, therefore, let us, you and I together, let us as many as are mature have the same mind or have this mind that I've just laid out. This is, a, this is a mind of maturity. A mind of immaturity is going to stop the first time that you're bobbing out in the deep a day and a night. Or the first time, you know, religion pulls you aside and they may not physically put 39 lashes on you with a whip, but they do it with their tongue. <laughs> they abuse you, right? So the first time that happens, we quit. If you're not mature, you quit. You don't have this mind that Christ had or that Paul had, which was the mind of Christ. So he said, if we're mature, let's have this kind of mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal this to you. If you're not thinking along the same line that I'm presenting, he said, don't, don't buy into what I'm saying. He said, God will reveal it to you. That in verse 16, he said, nevertheless, to the degree 
that we have already attained, let us walk in the same rule. Let us walk in unity. Let's walk in the same spirit. Let's walk this thing out together. Let us be of the same mind. So Paul turns it around on them and he says, look, we're headed in the same direction here. We're on the same journey. And that's what's so exciting about this. This is what's so exciting. Maybe that's why I get so pumped up when I come to you at the Digital Cathedral. Because I know I'm talking to people that are going the same way I'm going. We're in the same journey. We're headed the same direction. We, we sense the same call. And God's placed us together for such a time as this. So I, 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 I love the attitude that Paul lays out. And I like the way then that he brings the Philippians into the same direction that he's walking in. Now watch verse 17. Verse 17. He said, brethren... Brethren, join in following my example. Right? Follow my example and note those who walk in the, my example, who walk the same way. For you have us, me and you that are walking the same way, you have us as a pattern. Now, so Paul, after he goes through the humility of saying, I haven't apprehended, I'm not perfect, I'm striving, I'm letting go of things, I'm reaching forth the things that are ahead, uh, I've got a goal, I've got a target, there's an upward call, there's a higher consciousness, a greater level that I'm moving toward. He, he lays out his humility. That's very humble of Paul. But then in verse 17, he shows boldness. He shows strength of spirit. And he says, uh, follow my example. I love the humility of 12 and 13, but I also love the, the boldness when Paul says, follow me. He didn't put any hype in it. He didn't put any pressure on them to do that, but he's getting, here's what he's getting at. He's getting at saying, look, we're walking this out together. It's a spirit to spirit connection. The Philippians were spirit connected to Paul, the Ephesians, the Galatians, the Colossians. There was a spirit to spirit connection. So here's what I hear Paul saying in these verses. Here's what I hear Paul saying in, in, in word and exam, in, in, in action and example. Here's, he's giving us an action, he's giving us a word, then he's giving us an example. Here's what I hear Paul saying. He's saying two things. He's saying the word that comes to you must be real for you. The word that the Father speaks to you has got to be real for you. It's got to be revelation for you. And the second thing that I hear him saying in, in all of this is that you have got to be willing to change perpetually, continually. There, there's going to be a continual change going on in your life as you hear the word that the Father speaks directly to you. Paul is saying in verse 17, I've, I've, I've undergone change both ways. I've undergone change by a confrontation on the road to Damascus when the word confronted me and there was an immediate change in my life. And I've also undergone a perpetual change that has come over time a little by little. So he said, follow my example. Follow my example. There may be times, Paul's saying, that the word is revealed to you and bang, just like that, you're changed. And there are gonna be other times that he begins to show things to your to your spirit that your mind's gonna say, I don't, I don't know about that, I'm not ready for that. And the spirit's gonna keep working and drawing and pulling until finally your mind conforms and submits, the soul submits to what the spirit is doing. So this still is the number one problem for the child of God that is maturing. The number one problem I think still revolves around our willingness to change rapidly, listen to me, to change rapidly without feeling insecure, without, without feeling, mm, I'm, I might be on thin ice here. Especially the first time or two that you start undergoing change. First couple of times that I began to really, really change my, my theology, my belief systems, you know, back, it's been almost 20 years ago now. Seems like yesterday because there was such upheaval that was going on in my life, I recognized there was truth. But the truth that I was recognizing did not coincide with everything that I had been groomed through my education to believe. Everything that I had taught for 35 years, what I was seeing, it didn't coincide, it didn't, it didn't click. There was tremendous upheaval. So it produced insecurity. 
So the first couple of times that that began to happen, when I, when I saw the unconditional love of God without strings, without limits, that blew my mind because I felt, yeah, God, okay, God is a God of agape. He's a God of unconditional love. But for me to really have it, I had to be obedient. I had, I had to not sin. If I was in sin, then there's no way that I could, I could recognize or feel that God would love me because he couldn't look on sin. That's what I was taught. That's what I taught. I was taught it, so that's what I was taught. Amazing things that I teach today is most of the things that I'm teaching, I have not been taught. Uh, I've picked up, I've learned. Now, I read, I, I, I watch videos, I listen to, to people, certain people. I have, a, I have a small window of people that I listen to now, but um, most of the things that I teach, it's, it's been because it's a word that's worked in me and I'm and I'm I'm learning and I'm still learning this to to be able to change quickly. I recognize the voice that speaks within, and when the word speaks within, I can change. And it's not nearly as hard. It doesn't produce the insecurity that it did at one time. You know, it's tough. Those first few times it's tough because you doubt, you question, you wonder, man, have I missed it? Am I am I moving off into some kind of heresy? Am I moving off into some kind of cultic? imagination, you know, you, you question yourself, especially if there's not a lot of people around you that are enforcing or believing the same thing. So when you, when you hear the word that God speaks to you on a deep enough level, I will assure you, when you hear it on a deep enough level, it will change you. When you get a deep enough level of a, of a loving, forgiving, reconciling Father that's reflected in Jesus, it will blow, it will dynamite your whole belief system. It, it just will. It just happens that way. It'll destroy all of that, all the Old Testament inaccurate, uh, erroneous views of God that were, that were presented. I mean, God bless them. They did the best they could. But Jesus came to clear up those misconceptions. That's why Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And I want to read a verse about that in, in, in a little bit later. See, most people worship a God that's more like Zeus than Jesus. I, I don't know why, maybe it's because of our culture, our upbringing, our, our spiritual nurturing. It seems much easier for people to believe in and hold to an angry judicial deity that's waiting to punish you if you do wrong than to embrace a God of, of love and inclusiveness. It's much easier for people, it seems, to embrace a God that demands action, that demands servitude, than it is a God that says, I came to serve you. In, in John chapter 1 and verse 18, I'm, I don't, I'm, I'm running quick here because I've got a lot to cover. Jesus said, no man has seen the Father at any time except the Son. Now that's, that's a huge revelation that you need to contemplate. Moses never saw God. The writer of the first five books of the Bible never saw God. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, the prophets never saw God. John the Baptist never saw him. The only one that has seen the Father is the Son. So the only one that can give us an accurate portrayal of who the Father is, is the Son. Everything else has some fragments of error to it. And I'm sorry if that, if that messes up your inerrancy of the scripture. The Bible is not inerrant. It's not infallible. It was written by men who were seeing through a glass darkly. So Jesus came to say, here's the record. Let me set it straight. Here's what the Father is really like. Watch me. Watch my life. Watch the way I live. Look at my attitudes. Look how I deal with people. Watch how I forgive sin. Listen to what I tell you to do about uh, dealing with your enemies because that's exactly the way the Father deals with his. You know how the Father deals with his enemies? He makes friends of all of them, so therefore he has no enemies. All of them are sons and daughters. They're all family. They all have a place at the table. They're all included. So you're, see, you're, your mind fights that kind of thing. Your mind is quick to assume, okay, look, I got this. I see this about God. I need to go on to the next thing. What's the next revelation? I, I want to watch the digital cathedral next week to see what new you can tell me. And we haven't still grasped the old. We haven't flushed out some of those Old Testament concepts yet. 
we still got some distorted views and ideas. So you need to think about it. You need to let it settle in. You need to let these things crock pot, slow cook, because they're, they're designed to change you, to change you internally. The, the mind wants to, to quickly say, I see it, I got it, I apprehend it, I mentally grasp it. Now let's move on to something else. The proof, if the word that you hear has really entered deeply, listen, listen, the proof of the word has entered the, you deeply, the proof of the pudding is this. Did what you hear enter in deeply enough that it changed you? If there's no change, then you really didn't hear it. If there's no change, then you really haven't grasped it. For the word from the Father, or from any source, you know, from what you read or what you, what just drops into your spirit from the spirit of truth, whatever it is, for it to have an effect, there has to be a change. You have to see the Christ in the word, which means you have to see the life that the word produces within you. Is it producing life within you? Is it just producing more rituals, regulations, uh, in laws. But here's, look at 1 Timothy. See if you can relate to this. See if this has ever been true in your life. Turn a little bit over right to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 1 says, this is a faithful saying. First, I'm sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 1. He said, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful and unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God, having forms of godliness, but denying its power, he said, from such people, turn away. All right, now, you can see this going on a lot. Religion builds on verse 5. Having forms of godliness with absolutely no power. The word that religion brings you does not change you because it doesn't enter in. There's no life on it because it's based on rituals, rules, and regulations. It's based on trying to modify your behavior by those rituals, rules, and regulations. So it never enters your life deep enough to bring you change. There's no power in it. So we've all been there. I mean, I went through rules, regulations, and uh, rituals for years and years, and it never changed me. I, 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 there was a life I wanted to live, but I could never get there. I looked pretty good on the outside. And that's what rules, regulations, and rituals will do. It, it kind of puts a facade, a veneer that, and I don't want to say it makes you fake because you're sincere in your heart about doing it, but there's, it, it never enters in. I'm, I'm changed. I'm not the same guy that I was 20 years ago, 10 years, five years ago. I'm not even the same guy I was a year ago. There's perpetual change that goes on in my life because the word that enters in now is not a rule, it's not a ritual, it's not a regulation, it's spirit and life. And the proof of the pudding is the change. When you come to the digital cathedral, you know, I, I bring to you different, different teachings of different dimensions from different ways because it's changed me. It's not the same old three points in a poem and come to Jesus and let's pray the prayer. We all listened to that for years. You knew what the preacher was gonna say before he said it. It's not that way now because the spirit is unveiling truth. But here's what we did. This, this is what's so mind-blowing. When the rituals, the rules, and the regulations didn't change us, and we wanted change so bad, we had a sincere heart. What did we do? We doubled down on the rituals, the rules, and regulations. We prayed more, read our Bible more, we gave more, dedicated more, we rededicated ourselves more, got involved in more activities, tried to prove ourselves more worthy. We just doubled down on it. And what, what's the, what does the guy say the definition of insanity is? It's to keep doing the same things over and over and expect different results. That's how I lived. The only thing different was I did more of it. I did more of it. Verse 7 just nails it. Having forms of godliness, having rules, regulations, and rituals, 
but they have absolutely no power to them. You know, I see sometimes on Facebook, these guys, they have a huge stack of books that they take a picture of that they're going to read. You know, famous authors, heavy titles, deep theology. Yet, I wonder, friend, is it really producing change in your life? Is it, is it doing anything for you? I know you're hungry to know more. I was hungry to know more for years. And we thought, and, and this is what I hear in some of this that I see, if I just had a little bit more knowledge, if I could just go to the prophetic conference and get another word, if I could just find the right teacher, if the, if the right church would just spring up in my city, you know, I, I would get it, I would have it. For the word to change you, listen to me, for the word to change you, it has to be revealed to you, not to me. It has to, it has to be disclosed to you. Now, th there's, there's a great promise to us that helps us switch gears. And, and it's, in, uh, it's in actually 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, that says when Jesus appears, when he's revealed, when, he, when, when, he's, when we get the revelation of Jesus, when there's a revealing, an unpacking, when there's a dissecting, that we will be like the one that we see. I probably should read that scripture for you because people have made it into a second coming scripture and it has nothing to do with the second coming of Jesus. Listen, listen to this. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2. Beloved, now are we the children of God. You have access. You are a child of God. And it has not been revealed what we shall be. We haven't got the revelation deep enough yet. But we know this, that when he is revealed, when we see him, when he's disclosed, when it happens to us, when he's revealed to us, me personally, individually, all right? not that I just want more knowledge or another word or find the right teacher or the right church. I need an unveiling of him to me. When he's revealed, we shall be like him because we personally, individually, will see him as he is. So that, that, that revealing, that unveiling, that dissecting, that examining, that chewing that over and over and over again, this, this is where our belief system then switches and it blows up the rules, the rituals and the regulations, it destroys them and it gets blown up into small enough fragments that you know, all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put our theology back together again. And this is where if you're going to a church, you probably go to the pastor and say, Pastor, I got some questions. I've been seeing some things. I want to talk to you. And the pastor either doesn't want to talk to you or he blows it off or gives you more rules, rituals, and regulations or warns you that you're falling off into deception. You better watch out. That's heresy because it doesn't fit the pattern. There's not been a word disclosed to him. He hasn't hit 1 John 3, 2 in his own personal life where he's had an unveiling of Jesus on a deep enough level that he has become what he sees. So what he tells you has no Zoe, has no life of God, which is understandable. And that's okay because, let me go back to this, the word has to be revealed to you personally, individually. What what you've, what you've had happen is a very profound encounter with Ephesians 4.12. The word of God has come to you and it's quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. I'm talking about scripture. It can be scripture, but not necessarily. The word of God comes to you. And it splits off, it says, spirit from soul. And it, and it begins to speak to you and shows you where soulish understanding has been and now what spirit life is bringing to you. That dividing is for you to see soul and spirit so that you can move out of the soul, out of the rules or rituals and the regulations, and you can begin to move into spirit and let the life of God take the wheel and begin to drive and direct your life. Are, are you ready for that? Are, are, you ready for, are you ready for that to happen? Because it'll happen fast. But as it does, the changes are going to transpire quickly. And the changes at first are going to make you feel a bit insecure, like, man, I'm doubting this. I'm not sure if this is really right. Am I, am I getting jacked up into something that's crazy? 
but you just hold on to it. That's not a word that has changed you instantly. It's a word that you need to chew. But he, he's breaking through and he's coming to you. He's coming to people all over the world right now. And it's not coming through rules, rituals, and regulations. It's coming through seeing him as he is. And as you see him as he is, then it's conforming you into the same image. And it's going to work deep, deep enough that your physical man is going to change. This body is going to change. The spirit that is within is giving life to our mortal being, to our mortal flesh. You know, the heart problems, the cancer, the disease. Those things will go, and they're not, it's not going to happen overnight. It may not happen in our generation. But we want to carry this far enough because there's a time coming that the transformation of the physical man will transpire through the, through the spirit man until we're changed and we look just like him, even in the body that carries us around. See, what the soul tells you is based on emotion, reason, logic. So it's only reasonable that God would be angry and judgmental because that's how people are when we don't do them right or somebody doesn't do us right. It's an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That's soulish understanding. When the Spirit reveals that God is love, without strings, unconditional, nothing attached to it, that that will drive the fear out that the soul has created. The soul creates fear of God. Perfect love, spirit force, drives that soulish understanding out. When, when love is revealed, when love is revealed to you on the level that says, I would rather let you hang me on a cross, I would rather let you murder me, than for you to ever think I was separated from you. I, I, I would rather submit myself willingly to death than to go another day thinking that you and I were not one. I, 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 I would rather you see me hang on a cross so that you would know that everything you encounter, everything you go through in life, I'm with you. I have reconciled you back to myself. I've taken all of those mindsets out that have been that have been pumped up by rules, regulations, and rituals. And I'm replacing them with reconciliation and redemption and resurrection, life from the dead. Right? The, 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 the soul will never say that. The soul will never do that. The soul wants to protect itself. The soul wants to present itself as right. That's why we argue on Facebook. It's soulish. I've got to be right. I've got to, I've got to demand my way. You're better off just to plant a seed with somebody. If they take it and go with it, that's fine. The full disclosure of your, your personal oneness with Christ, of your, of, your, of your union with the Father, is found in love, nothing else. So the greatest revelation that will perpetually change you is this revelation of love. And I know you hear about love a lot. But we haven't even scratched the surface on where love is taking us. See, love's going to take you. Just like grace did. Grace took you to the fatherhood of God. Grace took you to mercy. Grace took you to the finished work of the cross. The depth of love is going to take you to a lot of places. It's going to take you to an understanding of your union, the, the, the oneness in essence that you have with the Father. It doesn't mean you're going to lose your uniqueness or your personality but he's absorbing you into his life so that you can say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So that you can say, look, this is how Father acts. This is Father's attitude. That's, that spirit is, 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 is showing us, okay, that's soulish activity. That's tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's set aside. We don't go that way. There's one life, one power, one mind. There's only one force, and it's the Father, right? The soul doesn't want to go that way. Soul wants to be right. Soul wants to, to rise up. Soul wants to hide behind a rock. The soul wants to cover itself with fig leaves so that it looks okay. The soul wants you to see outward actions. The soul wants you to see how well you look, how well you present yourself, while inwardly you're still being driven by that soulish power of mind, of emotions, you know, I've, I've got to be right. Soul avoids the fire. Love takes you into the consuming fire. Our God is a consuming fire. Spirit heads you straight into the fire. Soul avoids the fire. 
when soul heads into the fire, it's going to burn all the dross off, all the all the veneer, all the facades. That's why Paul could. That's why Paul could be so transparent, and say, you know what? I haven't apprehended. I'm not perfect, but I'm one thing I do. I'm pressing forward. I'm letting go of what's behind me. I'm reaching forward to what's ahead. And he said, I want you to follow the same example. So what I'm saying to you this morning on the Digital Cathedral is this. All of us that are walking this way, as more people come into the Digital Cathedral from all over the world, let's give them an example that is birthed out of spirit and life that will draw them in, that will, that will resonate with them. See, And so that change can take place quicker. You and I have come through some slow change. I believe the next generation, the faithful men that we teach, will change much quicker because they will see it personified and walked out in us. The Philippians could change quicker than Paul probably could. Paul spent a lot of time in the desert changing before he ever came out and began to minister. The, the change was slow. I think the, the Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, if they would follow the example of Paul, could change much quicker than Paul changed. People that follow us, our children, our grandchildren, they should be able to look at grandpa and say, this is how grandpa lived. This is how grandpa believed. This is, this is the love grandpa demonstrated. This is the peace that filled his life. This is how he reconciled. This is how he forgave. And so it becomes easier. The soul doesn't contain near the power. You know, the generation that I follow, I mean, they were, they were soulish. They had strong power, man. They were, they were men's men. They, you know, they wouldn't bend for anything. They wouldn't change what they thought they held to. They weren't about to change. When the spirit walks into the fire, pure gold walks out. Pure gold walks out. So what, what are we saying? We agree with Paul. Let's go back to that third, third chapter of Philippians. And we, we agree with Paul. I told you I was going to get you down through verse 21. So let's agree with Paul in verse 20. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. When he says this to the Philippians, he said, For our citizenship is in heaven. <laughs> Man, I could spend the whole hour on that one. Our citizenship is in another dimension. Our citizenship is not here on earth. We're, to get the things we're talking about, you have to come out of the natural. You have, to, you have to open up to another plane of existence, to another dimension. We're talking about spirit here. We're talking about spirit realm. We're talking about spirit leading you. Right? He said, our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now watch, when we get him, 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, we see him, that word comes deep enough, it changes us, we're transformed. We're not going through transformation. I got to get that word out of my vocabulary. We're entering into transfiguration. Jesus was transfigured on, on, the, on, the, on the mount when, when he took the disciples up to the top of the mountain. He was transfigured. He changed in form. He, he obviously, evidently, was not the same person. He shined brightly. We're changing. The light that is within us is changing us. We're being transfigured. And it says in verse 21, he will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue things to himself. He's not talking about after you die. He's not talking about in the sweet by and by. He's talking about transforming this flesh body into his glorious body according to the working which he is able to do in subduing all things. So he's able to subdue all things within us that would inhibit us from walking into that glorious body that is like his. See, we're, we're being transformed. That's true. But we're also being transfigured. There's a deep work that's going on, and it comes from the word that enters into you. So what is Paul getting across to the Philippians? Yes, we're not perfect. We're not there yet, but we're moving on, and we're, we've learned the key to moving on is to let go of what's behind, keep our eye on the target that is ahead, and press toward it. Look at the changes that are before you. There is, there is a transformation that's going on from this earth suit to a glorious body, one that is just like Jesus. 
when John said, as he is, so are we in this world, there's not a limitation of that, even physically. There's not, a, there's not a limitation of that. And it comes by the power that works in us. <clears throat> I've read you the scripture that says that our mortal body is being quickened. It's being made alive by the spirit that is within. So we're undergoing that change. And there's, you know, a lot of little changes take place to make that big change. We're, we're all not going to sleep. A lot of us going to be awake. But the truth is, we're all gonna be changed. Hey guys, excuse me, somehow a call broke in and I had to leave, so. All right, we've wrapped this up today. Paul's teaching us some good truth. I hope you caught all of it. Go back and look at this video again. The truth that he taught us, and let me just adjust this, just a hair. Oop, that's too much. All right, the truth that he taught us is this. We aren't perfect, we haven't attained, but but we're reaching forth to the things that are before us. Amen? All right. Thank you for being with me today. This is July the 26th. And look, next Sunday morning, we're going to pick it up with Philippians 4. I haven't been doing that each week, and I probably should get you to hook on uh, and read the scriptures before we ever come together at the Digital Cathedral. So read Philippians 4. Get a couple different chapters, a couple, I mean, a couple different versions. Read it. And Wednesday night, you and I... We'll go a little bit through this and talk about it a little bit more. God bless you. Thank you for being with me at the Digital Cathedral. I love all of you. Thank you for praying for me. I pray for you. You pray for me. And let's continue to see with brand new eyes in Jesus' name. God bless.